Welcome to the Key of Life podcast, a show where we explore the limitless creative potential that exists within our human life, from birth to death, ancestry, and everything in between. Every human holds a key that opens a door of possibility to create, sustain, and transform within ourselves and with others. When we share our keys, we create deeper access to the keys within ourselves and open the doors of remembrance within others. I'm your gatekeeper and guide, Nanadua L. Key Hog. Let's open the door together. Hello and welcome to the Key of Life podcast. Today we have Philida, who is a birth keeper as well as a raw milk and cattle farmer woman extraordinaire uh, with us. I'm so excited to have her. We met while we were both doing RBK together and I'm so excited to see how her work has like shifted and transformed into the world of like raw dairy and and the food stuff. So welcome Philida. Thanks, Nenaru. Um, Yeah, super happy to be here. Feels like yesterday and simultaneously like a decade ago we did the school. So yeah, nice to catch up. Yeah, it's so true. It feels like so far, but so close. Yeah, so do you want to introduce yourself with anything that I missed in your intro and get into how you got into birth work and then what inspired you to get into work with um, cows yeah cool okay um so I was a doula just working in the hospital system here in the UK um I trained just after I had my second baby I had two pretty um nondescript hospital births um and I always just felt a real calling to birth work and yeah, I got into doula work quite quickly, realised that like attending births in the hospital was horrendous and <laughs> awful for me, awful for like, my health and well-being, um, let alone the women I was working with. So quite quickly kind of looked for a path out of that. And um, yeah, found Emily and Yolanda and the Radical Birthkeeper School, which which was which was great. I'm sure you'll attest to Um and yeah really kind of changed the game for me I um I stopped attending any births in the hospital and uh yeah it felt like kind of entering a whole new paradigm of of birth work so um yeah and from there it's kind of there's the a real thread that kind of took me from birth work to farming um yeah which which we can get into but um I got a house cow because um, my kids were like obsessed with dairy and meat and we'd always been like a veggie or a vegan household so that's really interesting <laughs> yeah and, and I kind of wanted to I couldn't buy the kind of dairy that I wanted them to be eating um, and simultaneously I was eating a vegan diet so it felt kind of conflicting um, so that kind of felt the only way to do it and yeah we did that and I just fell in love with it it felt like this doorway into kind of a relationship with with nature that was kind of deeper than anything I'd explored before and I think uh you know birth work we touch on that you know we have those moments of that kind of deep and profound connection in the birth room but 
you know they're they're quite fleeting whereas this is kind of being in like you know deep reverent service twice a day with with a cow that you're milking so yeah um that's how that started and then I really just uh had kind of constant requests for people wanting raw milk or asking if I had any and I just thought actually you know what like I could do this and I could take this little seed and I could grow it a little bit so yeah that's where I'm at and that's how I got there I hope that kind of explains it a little bit yeah that totally explains it and I find it so interesting that you went from a primarily veggie eating family to your kids are are now obsessed with 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 meat and dairy and now you're no longer primarily um vegan veggie is that correct yeah yeah so I started uh eating meat and kind of animal products I guess probably a year ago and I had not eaten any of that stuff really since I was like 15 so um it was yeah it's been that's like a whole topic but it's it's been really interesting and and the kind of insight into the shift was was having kids and seeing how much it felt like uh that kind of food was just a real requirement for their like vitality and life force and health so um yeah it felt really at odds with the kind of stories I was hearing about you know what health looks like and I think maybe the narrative has shifted there you might agree but Mm -hmm. definitely for a while it felt like all kind of conscious women were like eating vegan food because that was like the thing wasn't it yeah I totally remember a time like that too and I was also curious what made you become vegan like from 15 all the way up to now or not now but like last year Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I know it's different for everyone and you also mentioned the whole it being sort of like media promoted in the conscious community as this like the most conscious way of eating quote unquote (laughs) sort of thing so (laughs) yeah yeah you you really summed it up um I think initially the kind of seed for me was um I, I grew up on a farm so for me like the the death part was never that never bothered me you know for some people that's the big piece but um for me the piece was kind of, I guess, environmental stuff and animal welfare. Um, And, you know, I guess it felt like a golden ticket solution to like a really big complex problem, um, like you say, that was really, really promoted as like the answer environmentally in terms of health. Um, I now like obviously realize it's so far from the answer, but um, yeah, it's, you know, it kind of, ticks a lot of boxes doesn't it you can feel like quite self-righteous you can like it can feel good about yourself you can be like in that real hero consciousness so um yeah and I think you know the intentions are good but um yeah it's definitely been a really profound and important and healthful shift for us moving back to kind of animal products and more ancestral eating yeah. And you mentioned that you grew up on a farm. I think that's I'm I'm seeing this as this like going back to your roots, like your ancestral roots in a way as well, which is so beautiful to me. And you also mentioned how people think it's like this one time, like this 
this is the one way to fix this huge problem that <laughs> that is bigger than all of us. And I was wondering if you could dive deeper into that and the misconception that people have that the type of farming that you're doing, like micro dairy farming and like meat farming and stuff like that is this like, this is the worst for the environment, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, I um, I bought oat milk for a really long time. And um, for me, the the real shift I had was when someone said to me that like you never see annual crops in nature so the only time you see them in nature is after like a disaster so like a landslide or an earthquake so to grow annual crops we have to recreate that disaster in the soil every single year we have to plow the field we have to recreate the ecological disaster And we have to release a ton of carbon in the meantime and we lose, you know, all that topsoil and we get a lot of runoff. And the alternative to that is, you know, in in a pasture fed system with grazing ruminants who are managed well, is that you are supporting this like living carpet of biodiversity. And so for me, when like I can hold these two pictures side by side, you know, and um, you could argue those are extreme versions and of course in systems that are managed badly you know it's not necessarily the case but yeah these cattle are adding organic matter into the soil every day they're cycling carbon yeah they're encouraging diversity and at the end of it we get this like incredibly nutrient dense product and you know yes water's required more water but it's green water so it's water that's already in the system it's not water we're kind of inputting elsewhere like we often have to with with arable crops but yeah for me it was like those two images side by side of the kind of bucolic scene of you know cattle grazing in beautiful wildflower meadows versus yeah creating a a natural disaster and you know using glyphosates and horrendous pesticides and all of the things that are just really synonymous with yeah arable and crop production so yeah I feel like they're two powerful things to hold those are incredibly powerful things to hold and I I don't I don't capture video on these but like my face when she described that annual crops happen in nature when disasters happen and that we're literally recreating those natural disasters in order to grow them as these giant monocrops constantly like my face was like jaw drops to the floor because <laughs> it's so true and I never even I never even like put the two together I was just like yeah like glyphosates monocrops are like shit you know <laughs> but like really hearing it from at its core how these plants are grown and how you have to recreate that for these plants to grow it's totally against nature it's totally against nature whereas this natural like i'm seeing the monocrop um recreation of natural disaster type crops like oat and and corn and etc and etc as being like a like a linear a linear ecosystem whereas incorporating ruminants as well as the other um plants as this cyclical um Mm. system which is how 
which is how nature works. It's like in a cycle and natural disasters also happen in cycles, but they shift the cycle into something else and eventually recreate another like cycle where the the soil can then be re nutrientized. That's definitely yeah. not a word. But and yeah, it's just a it's it's a more naturally coherent way of farming. And I honestly think it's a giant shame that people believe that these these like especially within the vegan agenda that oh like we only need to eat plants we we shouldn't be eating the animals like animals are just as much a part of earth's ecosystem as plants are and if everyone were to become vegan and there's this just like overabundance of all these monocrop plants what is that doing to all of the other animals on the planet what is that doing to us as humans like that's not mm, that's not conducive to the cycle of nature yeah. Yeah, totally and and yeah I couldn't agree more and it it it's so inherently corporate as well like I think over 80 percent of the global wheat trade is is controlled by about six companies so it's like you know there's a piece in there about you know women farmers and and peasant farmers all over the world who actually like historically have fed the world you know it's not the big corporations feeding the world it is um, often landless peasant farmers and, and often women and actually if you know we start genetically modifying seeds and things and making seed saving illegal and you know it's a really um, slippery slope whereas like there's not much control kind of big government can have on on animal agriculture like not in the same way because it's so easy to not be reliant on those like fertilizers those inputs those sprays, you know, all those things which cost a lot of money and actually uh, push a lot of people on the fringes out of food production. So, yeah, there's like a big sovereignty kind of argument for like, uh, you know, cattle farming and things versus a kind of, yeah, crop kind of alternative. So, yeah, 100%. And I think as well, a lot of people who are pushing this sort of vegan plant only agenda don't realize the stuff with seed saving and these Monsanto seeds that and people not being able to seed save because the seed is like a genetic um what's it called I almost said pdf document <laughs> not a pdf document but it's a caught like a copyrighted thing you know it's yeah 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 and so that prevents farmers from not like what we usually and have always done which is save the seeds and replant the seeds you know it's generating more waste it's generating more of the the environmental things that Mm. this agenda is trying to say that it's like not doing and preventing which is I think a giant joke and then another thing I want to point out too connected to how the ruminants give nutrients back to the soil is that you're essentially eating foods that are devoid of nutrients because the soil that they're growing from is devoid of nutrients. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and it's getting more devoid every year. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for me, that was a really big tipping point when I decided to start eating animal products was like just how horrendously depleted I felt. And I don't... I don't think that's often talked about like 
just how much our bodies need it feels like need to me you know and often I think a lot of the chronic symptoms people just live with because they're kind of quite normalized in our culture um yeah can can be really exasperated by by like vegan and veggie diets um maybe there's some people it works for but yeah I don't know have you always eaten like a animal-based diet yourself Pretty much all my life, except for a year and a half of my life when I chose to be vegan, not even mm-hmm. for it was it was more so because I felt like my body just needed a break from meat. I'd been eating like complete shit <laughs> the year before it was my first year of university. And I was just eating pizza every day and like, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch <laughs> of crap. <laughs> so um, I just one day was like, yeah, I'm going to be vegan. And then the next day. <laughs> I became vegan. I stopped eating meat for a year and a half, took a trip to Ecuador where it was very hard to find things that were completely Mm. vegan. So I just stopped eating um, vegan, started eating meat again (laughs) after that. Nice. Um, Yeah. And I, you know, that's another really good observation and point is for a lot of communities like around the world, like a healthy diet for them is dependent on animal products, you know, like the, not everyone has the access you know you or I might have to like fancy tofus and like Mm -hmm. lentils from halfway around the world um avocados to get our fat you know all of those things that yeah that you can kind of piece together to fathom something close to a healthful plant-based diet like a lot of people globally just can't do that so uh there's definitely a kind of a real privilege to to kind of the idea of of enforcing that on people and communities yeah and like you even touched on before it's this like governmentally controlled way of being honestly and like you said too a lot of farmers were these peasant farmers these women these people with like lands to feed their communities for their survival and their community's survival and to just take away that ability to do that is really taking away and I want to touch on the how especially to do with the dairy an argument that I've oftentimes heard is like oh this is like a feminist issue you're taking away milk from from the baby cows and like you're you're abusing the mother cows (laughs) and stuff like that when it's like you're also abusing these human beings that depend on this livestock for survival and their communities that depend on these this livestock for survival you know Mm. and I'm not trying to make this like a oh humans are better than animal and whatever I'm just saying that on like the argument is very invalid to me in many different ways but in this particular context that I'm speaking on because it does the same on both ends like it's, it's it's a disrespect on both ends and I honestly don't believe that it's especially the way that you're doing it it isn't this disrespect of the mother and taking away milk from the baby and mm. I was wondering too if you could speak to the way the practices that you uphold for milking the cows and for when um, the baby calves are being born etc mm. um, so yeah I really hear you and that's something I thought about a lot and I I guess I just inherently felt discomfort with you know is the the kind of universal mammalian experience of of giving birth and having a baby and as we know like that 
profound um, connection that happens on the most kind of primordial level. So for me, that was always like a piece that I wanted to work with. So in the UK, we call it uh, like calf foot dairying or cow calf dairy system. So uh, my cows keep their calves the whole time. So uh, when they get to kind of four or five months, they have a few hours apart over the night time. Um, and then they are milked in the morning and then they're reunited um, after that. But it works really well. Um, the kind of downfall in terms of a business is that it's a much high, like it's a much more labor intensive process. It's also, you know, you get a lot less milk. So instead of getting 20 liters of milk, I get probably closer to four or five. So yeah, it's significant. But also for a lot of people, it's the like specific reason they want the milk is because the cows and calves are left together. Um, you know, uh, you also have healthier livestock. In my opinion, you have cattle that are a lot less stressed. So you have less disease, less medical issues, and arguably better milk. You know, I think happy cows that, you know, aren't full of stress hormones yeah, give milk that's going to be better for you. So there's lots of reasons to do it. Yeah, I think it's a an interesting system. I think I I don't know how how much you could scale it up. Um, and that's something that will be really interesting to watch as I think probably the demand for better and more ethical dairy kind of surfaces. But I feel really positive about about how it can work. It feels like a nice a nice middle ground. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And Speaking of the whole less stress hormones, I'm I'm seeing how this is really connected. Like all mammals sort of operate <laughs> very similarly postpartum, you know? And mm. it's interesting because it's like when we're speaking about breast milk and making the most conducive breastfeeding environment is when you're like attached to your baby and you're stress-free and that's when you're producing at your best yeah you might not be producing like buckets and buckets and buckets load of milk <laughs> like say as someone who like pumps 24 7 or not 24 7 but like pumps a lot and whatever but you're ultimately less stressed out and yeah I, I love that you're doing that I think that's so amazing <laughs> Yeah, a hundred percent. And and like you say, it, it's literally identical to humans, you know, for milk letdown in cows, you need oxytocin and oxytocin doesn't work if we have, uh, you know, high levels of adrenaline or cortisol. So, uh, you know, it, the system inherently requires more thought and a more kind of holistic approach because, you know, normally the incentive for a dairy cow to be milked is the fact that it has really full udders and it's a relief when they get milk but obviously it, my cows have their calves on them they don't have that incentive so we have to make milking like a blissful experience for mm -hmm. them to want to come and do it so um yeah so many similarities you know physiologically it's it's pretty much identical to to women breastfeeding and it takes all the same things for it to work um so yeah I love the kind of threads of connection because it feels so close to birth work in, in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And another topic I want to get into is the whole humans. Humans are naturally, the, the grand majority of humans are naturally lactose intolerant. We should not be drinking milk from other animal discussion, which is essentially 
a lie. So <laughs> do you want to get into to that and and explain a little bit about that a little further? Yeah, so interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, lactose intolerance is, is really prevalent, isn't it? And I think, yeah, it's it's been really fascinating because I, like I said, I grew up on a farm, but I didn't I didn't grow up drinking raw milk. I didn't grow up with kind of access to good dairy. You know, we just had whatever my parents bought from the supermarket. So yeah, it, it really feels like two entirely separate kind of products in a way. Um, you know, you get this watery kind of white liquid that is a bit rancid, that, you know, pasteurized milk. And yeah, raw milk is like, wow this whole beautiful amazing creamy unctuous luscious smells like fresh and grassy and so yeah it was it really didn't surprise me when I heard that a lot of people can drink raw milk who can't drink kind of generically pasteurized milk and yeah dairy allergies are a big issue and I think I think there's a few different pieces I think we've bred dairy cattle like we have with all farm animals like horrendously intensively and we bred for like very specific attributes um and there are different cows produce different proteins and some of them um the a2 protein which is much easier to digest and that's what you get in sheep's milk and most goat's milk um, and in some dairy cattle milk so um a lot of people say they can drink a2 milk but might not be able to drink the A1 protein um, and I think there's been a bit of a resurgence in kind of breeding for A2 genetics but also I'm sure it's like you know just the less we mess with stuff and like all those amazing beautiful life-giving enzymes and um, probiotics and you know wow yeah it's it's amazing so it doesn't surprise me that people have a kind of intolerance to the strange white watery stuff yeah from a supermarket or a big store. Yeah, because that was my experience as well as my mom's experience too with raw milk because I was under the impression that I was lactose intolerant, well, mildly lactose intolerant for a long time. And my mom has just like always believed that about herself that like, yes, I'm lactose intolerant. I can't eat any dairy products. Like I will fart, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) like that stuff. (laughs) And then I remember trying raw milk myself and I was like, wow, like this feels great and then I remember giving it to my mom and my mom was a little bit concerned she's like are you sure about this like are you sure I'm not gonna just like be on the toilet all day I'm just like well try it for yourself I don't think that you will and she did and nothing happened to her and she was totally great wow and what I came to discover is that like you said when we leave things alone those enzymes and bacteria that are there are present And it isn't so much that like, oh, you're lactose intolerant, you should not be drinking milk. It's the milk that you're drinking, which is pasteurized milk, doesn't contain those enzymes that naturally break down the the lactose in the milk for you so that you're actually able to digest it and receive all the nutrients and stuff that's still present in the milk, which I thought was absolutely amazing. It was like, ah. That is like, of course, of course, we don't mess with with this stuff, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's perfect on its wow. own. We don't like pasteurize breast milk from women. Totally. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
yeah well, in some cases wow. for like milk donation they do but <laughs> in general cases yeah generally speaking it would be absurd yeah so I think that's completely beautiful and I want to um segue into just your experience and your family's experience with having a farm and you mentioned the connectivity to nature aspect of it I want to hear more about that and how your children are becoming more connected and your family and everything Mm, I think um yeah yeah I I love it it's been um the most profound thing I've ever done actually working with cows I think they're they're amazing they're like highly sensitive so you know in the same way you know we have to bring our kind of best selves to the birth room in in every kind of sense energetically spiritually you know uh, in self-responsibility cows kind of really require that from you which is yeah it feels like a deep accountability you know twice a day if you're milking twice a day I, I just milk once a day but um yeah they really they really read the room in a way that um yeah almost nothing else does and it it yeah it's been amazing I think it's um it's one of those funny things because you're because you're tied to it so I think a lot of people the kind of resistance to to maybe going there because you know we we most of us have quite a lot of freedom and actually if you have a milk cow you're you're tied to the house at least once a day every single day 365 days a year um but much like having children the kind of the magic is in the service it's in the rainy mornings when you have to drag yourself out of bed and you have to go and you snuggle your head into the side of like this sweet warm earthy ruminant who's kind of chewing the cud and yeah and it's you know you you really process some stuff when you're doing that it's um yeah it's the best free therapy ever Mm. um and yeah it's fun you know and I think it's I'm always like cautious about romanticizing things but actually it feels like profoundly romantic to me the whole the whole notion of it and yeah that connection to our food because it feels like a birthright but it also feels like we've lost it you know Mm -hmm. um and we've always kind of grown veggies and done stuff like that but even that you know like we'll go to the store and buy the packets of seeds or like the bags of compost because we don't have time, you know? So I think this, yeah, this really is like, yeah, it's like a, you know, you have to labor for your food and there's, there's something, there's something in that. And, you know, when you're sick or you're exhausted or um, hungover, not that it happens very often (laughs) these days, but you know, you're, yeah it's just this real uh, kind of service to land and beast and I think you touched on it earlier it's like finding your place in a wheel that's already moving you know Mm -hmm. it's like it's like nestling yourself into these things that would exist without you and there's something very humbling about that um and yeah it's it's amazing and they're amazing and they teach me things every day and yeah so it, it just only feels like a like a privilege it's a good thing if you have the chance to be with cows everyone should do it because yeah they're amazing oh wow that's like I'm just imagining you with these cows and what's standing out so profoundly in your share for me is this developing a relationship with 
these animals and with your food on such a deep intimate level like you're really it's like (laughs) yeah it's it's like a deepening of your relationship with yourself a because you mentioned having to show up in this like state of peace around the cows so that they're calm so that you're calm and also developing a relationship with this this cow understanding its personality and just like the immense gratitude even in the practice from start to finish in milking in them like pooping even you know so that you could get the compost it's it's like so profound (laughs) incredibly profound and I think it's something missing in a lot of people's lives for sure this deep connectivity to their food and yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's important yeah it is and it um yeah it feels it feels so precious like it feels like something no one can take like when you've got it you know and yeah and it's but you know especially as women like you know a lot of places women can't legally own land you know we but we've we can always tether ourselves to that and I think that's why farming is so powerful because you know we might not you know we might not be able to kind of uh claw our way into those patriarchal institutions but we can feed our family and um and we can feed our community and it's yeah no one can take that you know when we've got that and we've learned that and those skills and Mm -hmm. yeah they're ours aren't they and they've definitely been been lost um but yeah yeah it's a a good thing yeah I'm getting chills as you're speaking of finding your place in the wheel and this this skill that can't be taken from us because it's just so innately a part of our humanness like this is how humans survive generationally from way way the beginning of time to now you know like in terms of farming type communities and even even in parts of my ancestry on my mom's side like pretty much all of my mom's side were farmers in the Caribbean like with either bananas like lots of fruit farmers um and then Mm. some goats and stuff like that goats and donkeys were were the animals of choice for my family mostly um so I really, I really do feel that connection with it as well. It's this reclamation of our ancestral wisdom since the beginning of time. And mm. not only is it of benefit for us, it's a benefit to these animals as well, who also grew up alongside humans, milking them and interacting with them. Like they have this natural propensity to know that, oh yeah, like this human will sometimes milk me and and then like you know I'll, I'll be left alone with my cow for a little while and get to like eat and chill and all yeah. that stuff you know like the cows the cows have that inborn genetic predisposition and remembrance as well and I'm seeing this as a bridging of those worlds of those like animal human relationship worlds and creating this huge web and wheel of just symbiotic relationship and coherence with each other yeah yeah that's beautiful that's beautiful I yeah I love that I think I think you've 
really hit the nail on the head. It it definitely feels like a a reclamation um, and yeah, a really powerful one, mm-hmm. a really powerful one. Yeah, and also what it's coming to mind too is what an honor to be able to not only feed the cows, feed your community and feed your family. Like that is such an honor to be able to pour into everything around you and yourself in such an intimate way, you know? Like mm-hmm. it's like I'm really feeling it in my heart right now. <laughs> like I feel like I'm about to cry. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's really that deep though. It's it's the ultimate it's earth. It's it's how earth operates in this giving and receiving sort of way, this maternal sort of all-encompassing sort of way that just exists in in everything (laughs) yeah yeah totally exactly and like you say it's it's all a relationship and it's all um yeah I I mean I, I always think you know a cow has to choose to give you her milk like you were saying they have a degree of remembering and they have a kind of you know, they they are an active participant in this relationship. And I think probably our kind of industrial food systems have really skewed the vision of that mm-hmm. because we've kind of got to a place where for the most part we do just exploit animals and we've kind of forgotten that, you know, it is a relationship and it takes takes both of you. And yeah, you know, because of the hormonal process required to let down milk, they, they have to choose to do it. They have to want to do it milking a cow isn't a physical process it is a hormonal one so yeah they have to be part of it um you know and in a lot of systems the kind of incentive is like you know concentrates or grains or you know things that we don't use so in a pasture-based system even more so you know because you don't really have the kind of uh, highly processed foods as an incentive for the cows so it really is it really is relationship based yeah there's there's no forcing cows to do anything they don't want to do they very stubborn and very sensitive so yeah takes everyone's willingness to to get the end result Mm -hmm. and this is also highlighting for me too the importance of really choosing exactly where your food comes from and how wherever your dollar goes is basically what you're investing to see more of in the future because that's how industries Mm -hmm. grow like if you're pouring your money into these monocrop industries, these like industrial dairy and cattle farming industries, that is what will be the norm in society. And I'm just thinking, imagine if everyone just decided to start farming in the ways that you're farming with with cows and other animals, as well as like crop farming with like um, vegetables and fruits, like Imagine if everyone poured their investments, both monetarily or as the farmer themselves into this way of being, how I feel like that would genuinely transform a the 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 ecological damage that's that's been happening on the planet and b just the way that we're eating and the nutrients that we're receiving from our food in general. Mm. Gosh, yeah. Wow. A hundred percent. There's 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 so much power, isn't there, in in kind of where we spend our money energetically. So much power. I think 
I think that the, the often the argument I hear is like, you know, that this food is too expensive, like people mm-hmm. can't afford it. And I think I think about that a lot because, um, you know, I feel so passionately that everyone should have access to good food. It feels like, a you know, just a, a birthright. Mm. Right. Like it. But I also kind of am always reminded that, you know, our global industrial food system is so inherently fragile you know we are kind of always on the edge of that system collapsing and at some point it will collapse you know just like the kind of bankers crash just like all of these big systems can never can never kind of sustain and I and I kind of always come back to the thought that like when that happens like these local resilient small food systems where there's a short chain from the producer to the customer you know ideally just straight from the producer to the customer the people that will be served when that collapse happens will be the poorest people you know they will be the people that will benefit from us building these resilient local food systems um so while kind of i appreciate some people will always be priced out of good food it's yeah i think in longer term we kind of what comes with that is a degree of security and sovereignty which you know cheap food and industrial systems will never provide Mm -hmm. 100 percent. and another thing i want to point out too is you can still invest your money in foods in the in a way that's healthy for you financially right like there's even things that like for example, like eggs for me, eggs and dairy and like meat, I like those things are the things that I will, I will pay top dollar for. Mm-hmm. Some like certain fruits, certain veggies, I'm okay with with going to big brand stores and doing that, and yeah. that's how I offset costs for me. Sometimes I don't get like farm fresh eggs all the time from my my raw dairy guy, you know. Sometimes I'll go to the grocery store and get like pastured eggs which are like slightly cheaper than his eggs, but it's what I can afford at the time, right? And yeah. it's it's a matter of allocating your funds in a way that works for you while still receiving something that is in alignment with your values, you know, mm-hmm. is what yeah, I believe such anyway. A good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a good point that it it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like you you know and especially you know as someone with a small business every little helps like it really does you know even if it's one family and you're buying one liter of milk a week from a small producer like me you know that's that's massive so it, yeah you're right the impact can happen and it can happen in alignment with kind of yeah where you're at in that current moment so yeah it's always like any choice is a powerful one right yeah a hundred percent and I want to ask too, do you guys do meat with your cows as well? Or is it strictly? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the cows that I've got are what we would call like a dual purpose cow in the UK. So they're sort of milk and meat. Um, This is mostly because the way we've kind of bred modern dairy cows has been very intensive and it's like very far from nature. Mostly they require like big amounts of like concentrated food and soya and things to mm-hmm. sustain like crazy high levels of milk production so I'm sort of trying to achieve a cow that's like closer to what we would see in a natural kind of system yeah um it's still not you know that it's still not arguably it's still much kind of milkier and things but uh the kind of upshot for me is that they're 
they require little input so you know I'm not having to feed those those things and also the calves we get are quite meaty they're quite beefy so meat is definitely like a part of a part of the system and a, a really inherent and important part I kind of I don't know I always have like a bit of resistance about talking about it I think often people that are interested in the cow calf dairy piece will often be kind of maybe vegetarian or you know and I think it's like a thing that we have to come to terms with that like if we want dairy meat production will always be a part of that there's Mm -hmm. no getting around it there's no sugarcoating it there's no escaping it um for me the kind of the way that I feel good about it and honoring it and you know kind of giving it the reverence that it deserves is that that calf is born on the farm and that calf will be finished on the farm so you know its entire life will be here from start to finish you know in a lot of systems the calves are kind of killed day one or they're shipped off you know so for me it feels important for the two things to exist simultaneously and for people to see that you know like if you want this delicious milk the cost is meat and it's it's a small amount of meat production um, you know, that's never going to be the main intention or part of my system, but it, it's a really important part. Um, and, you know, we get really high quality, really high welfare meat out of out of a system like this. So, yeah, I don't see it as a bad thing, but I think it's something that we should talk about because it's, yeah, part and parcel. Yeah, it's all part of the circle of life as well. And I think that's something that a lot of people, even meat eaters, resist as well as understanding that death is as much part of life. And and this, like, what I want to see in the future of humanity is this rever- as much reverence for birth or as much reverence for death as we have for birth and for life, you know, because mm. it's all part of that same wheel, you know. And when we're... When we're receiving meat from the death of the animal making that a reverent experience for that animal I think is just the most beautiful way that we can possibly be doing that you know Mm, and I totally mm -hmm, and I also want to highlight too that I think especially when it comes to like like calves being being killed for meat etc is when people's heartstrings can get really pulled but just wanting to presence that this has always been what has been done you know like lamb has been a thing that communities have eaten veal has been a thing that communities have eaten and it's really a matter of the the sustainability of the community in terms of feeding the community, feeding ourselves and feeding the ecosystem as a whole, I believe as well. Mm, yeah. And I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I think what's also amazing is like we touched on earlier, like the nutrient density of this product is so profound that, you know, one small steer might feed a whole family for a year and a half Mm -hmm. like that's astonishing and amazing and and like you know what's the alternative and I think 
you know, there's no such thing as like a deathless dinner, right? Exactly. Something suffered. It, like you said, it may be like because there's a monoculture somewhere and actually everything in sight has been sprayed off and killed. So it's like, it is, yeah, it's that kind of getting in right relationship with death rather than kind of pretending that somehow we are kind of bigger or better than nature and we don't have to be a part of that because it's just a lie, isn't it? It's just not true. It's true. Um, It's it's definitely a lie. Death is a part of life. Yeah, totally. Um, And yeah, and actually kind of the most the most honest way to be with that is is to kind of get close to it and get personal to it and um you know i i haven't yet sent any of my my cows to slaughter and that will be something that that comes in the future and um you know i think it will be uh in some ways profoundly difficult but also i think it should be profoundly Mm -hmm. difficult because like you say it's if it's not made you know i don't think you should be you should be doing it because it it should be done with with reverence and um you know they're amazing majestic beasts but the flip side of that is is like you said feeding your community and feeding the people you love and wow what a privilege and an honor in a world with you know food that's chemical poison to be able to eat something and prepare something that you know you know you know you know it um yeah I think it's yeah privilege Exactly. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And I love that you said the best way to um, be with it is to get close with it. You know, like, I, I, I think people have this belief, even for when people are hunters and stuff like that, like, there's no aspect of humanity in them. They're, they're just, they just want to kill it so they can eat it and whatever. When it's like, no, like, we are all humans. at our core like of course we're going to feel connected to especially um when you're raising these animals like growing with these animals too essentially in your life like your kids are growing with them you're growing with them they're growing with you of course there's going to be this level like this whole relationship has been developed you know there's gonna be some sadness and some grief with that that's an aspect of moving through death you know, like, (laughs) that's an aspect Mm. of moving through death. And even as a hunter, too, like, you've been stalking this animal throughout the day, like, you've, you've essentially built a relationship with this animal, too, through studying its movements and, and knowing when it's like, calm, when it's gonna jump, etc. There's always this aspect of, this animal has just died you know like even it's it's death is (laughs) it's always gonna be the same or similar sort of like reaction or response rather to that and that's perfectly normal and okay you know Mm. it's perfectly fine and again bringing it back to the reverence and the privilege it is to be able to even be in community with these animals and be nourished by them is the gratitude is so profound and I think it's it's a type of gratitude that I don't know it's just just so visceral (laughs) in your body Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah I couldn't I couldn't agree more it's it definitely it feels like a homecoming you know that sense of knowing and like you know you touched on 
being able to trace your family back and their kind of roots and in agriculture and um yeah just it it feels like coming home you know coming back to that place where it all it all clicks into place and it all makes sense and I think you know even when I kind of really believed that like maybe plant-based eating was the answer like it always felt clunky like mm-hmm. it never felt like an embodied knowing it kind of felt like a very intellectual uh thought process and yeah coming back to that to that sense of you know like you touched on it with your mum and your experience with with raw milk like just that that embodied feeling of like yes this feels good like in my body this feels good mm-hmm. um and yeah we've definitely been removed from that haven't we and so feels powerful to come back to it yeah it's really and I even named this episode like the raw milk revolution but it's just it's it's really a revolution on so many different levels even outside of the milk it's like a ancestral revolution a human revolution of food Mm. yeah and and like nourished women and Mm -hmm. and, you know we know like when women are nourished families thrive and when families thrive like oh my gosh what a what a potential for a whole new paradigm um of the world it's it's yeah it's like the seed isn't it it's watering it it feels really yeah exciting Mm -hmm. and just tell me you're in Canada yeah I am Mm -hmm. And what's the legalities of raw milk where you are? Is... It's illegal. It's illegal all over Canada to okay. to sell raw milk. I don't think that it's illegal to necessarily buy it. I think there's like some sort of loopholes that happen. But as of right now, the way that I receive my milk is very like black market <laughs> style, show up at a location, <laughs> like referral wow. only <laughs> type stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is like, that's quite, um, it's quite like Handmaid's Tale level of Literally. shit, right? Like, yeah. You know, like we have people and we have a cow and like, you know, that, wow. Yeah. Um. It, it's not illegal in the UK, but it there's there's like a lot of loopholes if you want to sell raw milk. So it's kind of almost illegal because of how difficult they make it. But um, yeah, I, I did know in parts of America and things it's illegal too. And yeah, it really, it's quite a sobering thought that, um, that something like that even could be illegal, isn't it? Right? It feels quite sobering. Yeah, mm. and it's like, this could get into like a whole different discussion, but when you even look at the statistics on contaminated milk, the majority of contaminated milk happens with the, like when milk is being pasteurized, like in the industrial farming type (laughs) environments, it's very, very rare for that type of like quote unquote tainting of the milk to occur with small farm, like small dairy farms literally <laughs> and especially if your intention is is for it to be consumed raw you know all your practices are centered around it and like you've pointed out it's not it's extremely rarely the milk that's the problem it's like the handling after mm-hmm. after the fact um and I think you know I think for a while it probably was quite dangerous because we like industrialized dairy and yeah. brought cows into cities and started feeding them food they shouldn't be eating because they're you know ruminants that should just eat forage and we started feeding them grain and like 
you know and then oh surprise surprise people got sick um literally yeah and that fear definitely still I've really noticed with with what I'm doing like the people that are really excited about it are like people under 30 who like maybe our age who kind of see the health food side of it Mm -hmm. or they're like people over like 65 who all just grew up on raw milk because that's what everyone drunk so um and then the kind of in between is people that have just had like the horror stories of how dangerous it is so it's um yes it's it's, I find it super interesting because it's very polarizing like people are either like horrified by the thought of it or they're like oh my god I grew up on that like that's proper milk like wow you know there's a real excitement so Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah I, I didn't know it was it was that illegal in Canada which is yeah really sobering (laughs) yeah yeah um I'm feeling pretty complete with the convo is there anything that you want to finish off on that's really on your heart and mind to say as like everyone should hear this or know about this wow I don't think so Ninaru I feel like yeah really happy that we've we've touched on everything that that felt good to talk about um yeah I appreciate your questions they've been really thoughtful so and your reflections it's been really nice to hear your your experiences yeah thank you it's been amazing to share and I'm so happy for when this episode is released out to the world for everyone to enjoy oh yeah way thank you very much my pleasure all right peace oh lovely to chat If you loved what you heard today, please let me know by giving the podcast some love in the reviews, liking, commenting, and sharing with someone you love as well. As always, too, you can connect with me on Instagram at Key of Life Birthkeeper and with any of my guests with their information and details located in the description. Until next time, Ashe.